One day, when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son? Yes, father, Esau replied. I'm an old man now, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and a quiver full of arrows, and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish, and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. But Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for wild game, she said to her son Jacob, Listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, Bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. Jacob replied to his mother, But look, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and my skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll see that, that I am trying to trick him, and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. Then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go out and get the goats for me. So Jacob went out and got the young goats for his mother. Rebekah took them and prepared a de delicious meal just the way Isaac liked it. Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were in the house, and gave them to her younger son, Jacob. She covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the young goats. Then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including freshly baked bread. So Jacob, so Jacob took the food to his father. My father. Yes, my son. Who are you? Esau or Jacob? It's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you've told me. Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat, so you can give me your blessing. How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord, your God, put it in my path. Come closer, so I can touch you, and make sure that you really are Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father, and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's. But he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy just like Esau's. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. But are, are you really my son Esau? Yes, I am. Now, my son, bring me the wild game. Let me eat it, and then I will give you my blessing. So Jacob took the food to his father, and Isaac ate it. He also drank the wine that Jacob served him. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come a little closer and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced, and he blessed his son. Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. From the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvests of grain and bountiful new wine. May many nations become your servants, and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers, 
and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed, and all who bless you will be blessed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. So, old man Isaac had a favorite son, Esau, the oldest, who was a man of the outdoors. And Isaac's wife, Rebekah, also had her favorite son, Jacob, the youngest, who was of more use, better use around the house. One parent loved one child and the other parent loved the other. From a family system's perspective, this is a recipe for disaster. A toxic stew of relationships at work here. In Genesis, the connections between the generations are pretty intimate. Virtues and faith trickle down the generations, as do vice and dysfunction as well. You know how it is. You've seen it and I've seen it. So much of our lives is lived in some response to our parents. Either internalizing what they taught us through the years from our earliest days, or becoming more like them to our chagrin subtly over time, or swinging the pendulum the other way as far as we possibly can in some direction. When I was working on my doctorate, one of the things I had to study in depth was family systems. How the system of a home, or you could broaden it out and talk about a business or church, how systems impact every participant who's living within that system. And how very, very young children, before they even begin to be conscious of it, learn what it is that makes their parents happy and what it is that makes their parents angry and what makes their parents pay attention and what keeps the equilibrium of the home an equilibrium and how you handle conflict and how one sibling differentiates themselves from the other all of these things we internalize and intuit from a very, very young age and the way we learn to make our way in our homes, according to family systems theory, is how we try to make our way in the world. This isn't something we talk about enough in our culture with our hyper-focus on individualism, but so much of life is inherited. And I'm not just talking about stuff. When the story begins, Isaac had his favorite son and Rebecca had hers, you get the feeling that the shadows are getting a pretty firm grip on the plot here. Isaac, by the beginning of this story, is a very, very old man, and it feels like he could sense the dusk of his death approaching, and so he felt it was the right time to grant the blessing upon his son. He called Esau into his bedroom, put his Coke bottle glasses on and his hearing aids and teeth in, and said to Esau, Would you go kill some game so that we can prepare my favorite dish for my last meal? And then I will give you my blessing. And so Esau headed out to fetch it. But Rebekah overheard the conversation in the home and wasn't about to leave her precious son Jacob out of the blessing, and so she hatched a plan with Jacob. You go out in the backyard and kill a couple of goat, goats out of the herds. Come in. I'll prepare your father's favorite dish. We'll put goat skins on your arms, and you will be the recipient of the blessing. 
Jacob begins to think about all the ways this could go wrong. But Rebekah says to him, don't worry. I will take the heat. Your, your father will never know. He's too old to know. But if something bad happens, I will take the heat for this. And so they hatched the plan and everything worked accordingly. Jacob killed the goats. Rebekah prepared the meal, put the goat skins on Jacob's arms. And Jacob went into his father's bedroom and says, your meal is ready. And with his senses dulled with age, Isaac ate the meal after only a couple of questions, and he blessed Jacob, believing him to be Esau. And when Esau did, in fact, return home, he and Isaac realized what had happened. They had been had. And they wept together, father and son, and Esau was furious, spitting nails, and Jacob hit the road, running for his life. The one who received the blessing was now trying to save his own skin. And the favoritism of the parents had mutated into the animosity between the siblings. Now, there is much about this story we struggle to understand. Like, why couldn't, just, why couldn't Esau just rescind the blessing? We have recalls in our day when something goes wrong. Just recall the thing and then give it to Esau. But what we have to keep in mind is that from the ancient Hebrew perspective, words don't describe reality, which is the way we think of it. In the Hebrew mindset, words create reality. Words speak things into existence. That's not how we modern Westerners think about it. We think reality is out there and then we come up with names that describe things that already exist whether we name them or not. But in the Hebrew mindset, think the creation story. God's words, our words, speak reality into existence and cannot be rescinded after we say them. And so when you bless someone with your words, they're blessed. And when you curse someone, there's also some of these stories in the Bible. When you curse someone, that also cannot be rescinded. This is so because our words shape reality. And part of me wishes we could recover some of that in our culture of how the ways we talk shape our life together for better or worse. And so this couldn't just be taken back after it was spoken. And then I ask myself, why couldn't there be multiple blessings? Just bless both of them. You have two sons. Give them both your blessing. But in an era of real scarcity that's hard for us to imagine, there was only so much blessing to go around. And so it was usually reserved for the oldest child who bore the brunt of the care and the leadership of the home as the parents aged. So there was only one blessing to go around. But while these parts of the story might seem a little strange to our way of thinking, there is one part of the story that is quite common in our day, and we see it nearly everywhere we look, and that's the idea of blessings and blessedness. A few years ago, my family and I walked out of a restaurant here in town and parked next to our vehicle in the parking spot right next to us was a sleek, silver, brand new Mustang. I had to take a photo of it, not because it was a new, sleek, silver Mustang, but because it was a Mustang of faith. It was a religious Mustang. Written across the breadth of the front doors were large letters, J-E-S-U-S. -S. The doors said Jesus, and in the 
front bumpers, uh, the front bumper right above the front tires, it read the phrase, Holy Roller. And on the back bumpers, above the back tires, it had the name of the church printed in the the slogan of the church, and the license plate on the back of that sleek silver Mustang read, Blessed. Truett, who was quite young at that time, said, Dad, why don't you have a car like that? I said, I'm not blessed, I guess. You hear that word, that language, that family of words nearly everywhere you turn today if you're paying attention. It's one of the most trendy hashtags of our day, hashtag blessed. It comes up in small talk, she is such a blessing. You hear it nearly every time someone sneezes, bless you. By the way, do you know where that comes from historically, why we say bless you when someone sneezes? I recently learned this. This is worth coming to church on a Sunday morning. In the old days of the Roman Empire when the bubonic plague was making its way around the empire one of the symptoms of the plague was intense sneezing and so when someone around you sneezed in those days people thought it was a sign of their imminent death before they ran away as fast as they could and so when someone sneezed around you you said bless you it was a way of giving them last rites because the priest probably wouldn't have time to get there nice knowing you bless you Y'all can't get this stuff in other churches, right? <laughs> this was worth coming. But this talk of blessedness and blessing is all around us today. And sometimes the words we use more and more come to mean less and less to us. It's not just small talk either, it's, it's big talk too. A few years ago I moved to Oklahoma City and when I did so, I suspected that the bombing of the Marah Federal Building would be an important part of that, the consciousness of that city. But I'll confess to you today, I really had no idea how deeply ingrained that day is in the psyche of that city. People in Oklahoma City marked time by April 19, 1995. One day I was making my way through the bombing museum in downtown Oklahoma City. All sorts of memorabilia and items and news reports over the walls. And they had a section for survivors. Some of which were people who worked in the Marah Federal Building every single workday. They were there every day. Except for some scandalous reason, they were out of the office on April 19, 1995. They either stepped out to get some coffee or... They were sick that day or on vacation that day. They were there every work day. But on April 19, 1995, they were not in the office. And they lived. I, I was reading some of their stories on the wall, and there was a husband and wife behind me, and the husband turned to his wife and said, Talk about blessings. And we kept making our way through the museum, and we rounded the corner and there was another section in memoriam to those who were killed. Some of which were people who had never been in that building a day in their life. Until April 19, 1995. And that day they just had an appointment in that building or they walked in, there was a post office there. Some people walked into the post office to get stamps. And they died. And when we made it to that part 
of the museum, no one said anything about blessings. Can you imagine that? People who worked in the Marab building day after day after day weren't there that one day and lived. And people who had never in their lives been in that day, been in that building that day, were in that building, and they died. What do you call that? Is it good luck, bad luck? Is it blessings and not blessings? Is it something to do with the injustice and fickleness of our God? Why are blessings limited? Why are some people blessed and other people not blessed? And as I lived in Oklahoma City, what I discovered over time is that for many of the people who survived, they also lost something in that, in that bombing. And they might not have considered the blessing a blessing. You might call it survivor's remorse. I don't know. All I know is for them, the blessing didn't feel like a blessing. It felt like a burden. Why me? Have you ever noticed how that can happen, that sometimes the blessings of life can feel like burdens? You receive a gift, but it, it feels like a heavy weight on your shoulders. You get your first car as a teenager. You've been wanting it for so long, but once you get it, you realize you have to fill it up more than once. And you have to get it serviced continually, and there's insurance, and it feels more like responsibility than freedom. You ever notice that? You buy your first home. What a blessing, the first home. But the insurance and the cleaning and the mowing and the sink that keeps stopping up, and it's a blessing, right? You keep telling yourself, it's a blessing. Or you have a baby, what a blessing. If there's ever a blessing, that's a blessing. But those babies also stink, and you have to feed them. And they wake up at the most inconvenient and inopportune and utterly inconsiderate times of the day. Sometimes we spend our lives trying to seize our blessings only to get them, and the blessings don't feel like blessings at all. Like in this story, Jacob receives the blessing, and it sends him running for his life. He's running from his brother who wants to kill him. He's running from his parents, even from his doting mother who fawned over him his whole life. And now he's a refugee running from his own home. It's one thing to be a refugee fleeing towards home. It's another thing altogether to be a refugee running as fast as you can from home. And to get the blessing in the first place, he had to, be, he had to pretend to be someone he wasn't. He had to lose who he was to get what he wanted. He sold his soul to get that blessing, and now he had what he wanted, but had no idea in the world who he was. If a blessing cost you your soul, it's probably not a blessing. If a blessing demands you forget who you are to get it, it's probably not a blessing. And if a blessing is gained by deceit and treachery, it's probably more like a crime than a blessing. And to make matters worse, in this story, Jacob blames the whole thing on God. Did you hear him in this story? He walks into his father's bedroom. Isaac still has enough wit about him to say, that was fast. How did you kill the animal and cook the meal so fast? Did you hear what Jacob said? Jacob doesn't tell the truth. Jacob says, ah, God. God provided the meat for the meal. God did this. Jacob blames God. But God's notions of blessing 
and Jacob's notions of blessing seem like entirely different things altogether. God's notions of blessing have to do with what makes for life and abundant life and the good life and our shared life together. For example, in the creation account, when God makes the animals, Genesis 1 says God blessed them, which is to say God gave those animals everything they needed to be fully and abundantly alive. And after the flood, with the reconstitution of creation, God blessed Noah and Noah's family, which is to say God gave them everything they needed to have full and abundant life together. And then later in Genesis, when God blesses Abraham, the text says that the Lord said to Abraham, I will bless you so that, this is the part we fail to read, I will bless you so that all the nations, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. It's a particular blessing for a universal effect, and this is where we've missed the mark on all this blessing talk in our day. When the rich of our culture celebrate their blessedness without thinking of how their blessings can bless, then that accumulation of wealth is hardly a blessing at that point. It's an injustice. When those in political power think that power is a divine right that should be lorded over people, not shared with people, then that power is not a blessing at that point. It's a burden on everyone. When people see their blessings as something to be hoarded, not something to be shared, then they lose their own souls in the process, and the blessings don't bless. And brothers and sisters, this is what we've inherited from our forebears. The notion that more is always and under any circumstance better. More is better. We've inherited the belief that we just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps with no thought towards God or neighbor or creation. We just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, which, by the way, if you think about, cannot physically be done. It is impossible for anyone to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. We need someone else to pull us up by our bootstraps. We've inherited the practice of getting what we can get at the expense of losing who we are in the process or exploiting whom we can exploit which seems to be a pattern for Jacob, you might have noticed at this point. In the previous story, he exploits Esau's hunger. In this story, he exploits his father's old age. And thus, we've inherited a society in which wealth is unimaginable and the blessings are seemingly illimitable. And yet, we have hungry children. We have a political system in which large corporations which are now considered to have the rights of people, can hire lobbyists and funnel millions of dollars into the process so that their voice yells in Washington while the voice of the people whispers in Washington. We have people working their fingers to the bone who are not lazy, who are working multiple jobs, who have so little to show for it while those at the top make untold amounts of money. The blessings are for the few, the Jacobs. But what about all the Esau's? What do you call that? So many of the things that we count as blessings in our culture are just our own self-deception with goat hair on our souls and our narcissism and greed blamed on God. I think that's the appeal of the blessing talk is I can cover my greed with the language of blessing and in essence I'm blaming it on God. 
So many people see blessings as that which God gives individuals. And they miss the entire biblical notion that blessings is what God gives all creation for our shared life together. And so many of the things that God gives us to make life abundant, we have used in such ways that make deathliness more abundant. Which is why Jesus turned the whole idea of blessing and blessedness on its head. Do you remember Jesus' most famous sermon? Blessed, it starts this way. Blessed, hear that word, he repeats it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now what group of sane people could make any sense of that? How is that true? Unless we totally rethink what we mean by blessing and blessedness. The best I can come up with is this, buckle your seatbelts, it's really profound, get ready. When blessings don't bless, they're not blessings. Can I say that one more time? When blessings don't bless, they're not blessings. Maybe I could get you to say that with me this morning. When blessings don't bless, they're not blessings. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we do indeed see the blessedness present in our lives today. Recognizing that the good things in our lives are not because we earned them, but because you gave them. We also recognize how we can abuse those blessings to the point that they are not blessings, but become harmful, disrupt families, create chasms between the generations, create a blessed few and a cursed many. So make us wise today as we come to the table so that our blessings bless. In the name of you, the great blesser. And all God's people said,